Southern Songs and Stories is produced in partnership with Grassroots Radio, WNCW, and the Osiris Podcast Network, and is available wherever you get your podcast and at WNCW.org. One of the easiest ways to help spread awareness of the artists featured here on Southern Songs and Stories, their music, and this series is to subscribe to the podcast and to give it a good rating and a comment on the platforms where you listen to your podcast. Our theme song, which you're hearing right now, is from Joshua Main, and you can find out more about his music on his SoundCloud and Instagram. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. Hi, I'm Richard Z. Rastafarian from Fear of a Craft Beer Planet, a podcast that talks a lot about the parallels between the beer industry and the music business. But really, we talk about whatever we want. The show is made up of four of us. Me, Richard the Rastafarian, the radio guy, Jay Rose, Ryan Egan, and Rob Forzik. They're the beer guys. They're the ones that teach me about craft beer, and I'm the one that gets the show on the air. You can find us on all social media platforms at Fear of a Craft Beer Planet. Sometimes it's easy to say what type of music you're listening to and to pick out what influences go into an artist's music. But how many times have you heard someone say something like, their sound is Muscle Shoals meets Philly Soul, or this band is what would happen if the Allman Brothers and Janis Joplin had a baby, and so on. So many times, these are lazy analogies, but even when they have merit, they might only scratch the surface of what informs that artist or band. And on first listen, you will probably quickly recognize some of the ingredients in the music of Marcus King. Blues, rock, and soul jump out right away. And when you look at Marcus, it's easy to sum things up by saying that he's a young guitar phenomenon with a powerful voice and a super tight band. This is all true, but there is so much more to discover with Marcus King, and the deeper you go, the more you find out about how intricate his music can be. As a person and a musician, Marcus embodies some of the best elements of his Southern heritage and synthesizes those elements into something both familiar but entirely new. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is our episode on Marcus King, featuring my interviews with Marcus and fellow upstate South Carolina musician Charles Hedgepath, and including songs from his new album, El Dorado. This was the first time that Marcus has worked extensively with other writers, notably Paul Overstreet, who has written hits for artists like George Jones, Randy Travis, Tanya Tucker, and Maria Osmond, to name a few. El Dorado is produced by Dan Auerbach, who is the third producer, other than Marcus King, to have worked on one of his albums. This song is Wildflowers and Wine. Wildflowers Scratchy record plays in the background of our lives. We're still here dancing after all this time. Wildflowers and wine. I walk through. Evergreen, a golden sun, 
never seen I pick them one at a time wild flowers and wild Oh, I can't help it Feeling the way I do I know you feel it For me, writing is like a it's like a muscle, you know. You just, you can work it out and let it grow, and um, it, it it helps with with your personal writing. Because for me, stuff I write about my personal life uh, sometimes needs to remain that very personal. Um, and when you go to write with other people, you can kind of create um, more of a story, more of a you know, more of a, a different kind of way to explain things because you got two different people putting their heads into it and when I'm writing in Nashville it's really more about finding the right writers to be around and to surround myself with um, and I found a lot of a lot of really like-minded writers up there and I just did a I just did a full record of co-writes that uh, that's about all I can say about it right now but it'll be out soon you've been playing since you were a kid a little kid and I'm sure you knew that you had talent, and, and people recognized that from very early on. But when did you learn how much better you could be? So say, thinking of it in the sense of the Miles Davis, there's a famous Miles Davis quote about how important it is to know what notes not to play. Mm -hmm. So when did you get to that level where you could see where you could really go? Man, you know, the short way to answer it would be, I don't know if I've gotten there quite yet. It's somewhere that I'm constantly aspiring to get uh, with my music. It's uh, to that place where you uh, you can kind of see where you want to go. And I try to remain there. 
because for me the the journey is just as important as the destination or it is the destination in some schools of thought uh, especially for me and the band constantly aspiring to to be better and to get to that place of uh seeing the light you know it's kind of a never-ending hustle and and a bustle um but for me in another sense as a kid when i stopped listening to guitar players altogether that's kind of when i found maybe a little bit of what you're talking about and i started listening to organ players and miles davis and and a lot of tenor saxophone players i really got into like eric dolphy and coltrane and sonny rollins and i really got into king curtis man because uh if you listen to like uh like it ain't fair by aretha she's got Dwayne and king curtis playing on there and they they trade off who's playing the fills it's sometimes indistinguishable so i found that there's other instruments that have similar voicings to mine and around the same time i started listening to a lot of vocalists like Janis Joplin and Tina Turner, to name a couple, Bob Seger, Paul Rogers, and I wanted to emulate their stuff with my guitar, and that led to me just saying, you know, heck with it, I'll sing, you know. That's interesting. So listening to other guitarists got in the way somehow. Yeah, man. You know, if you listen to, <clears throat> we use Stevie Ray as an example, who I love, and I have so much adoration for Stevie Ray and his playing and his just passion for it. Um, if you just listen to Steve, Stevie all the time, and that's it, you're going to emulate his playing, and nobody's going to be Stevie again. You're just going to be a watered-down version. Because if you really think about it, Stevie listened to Albert and Lonnie Mack, and Stevie in no way was a watered-down version, but he was a different, he put a, a different spin on that. So in the evolution of guitar playing, if you're just listening to Stevie and you're not, not listening to what he came up on, then you're just gonna sound like a watered, watered down version of something else. So you really gotta try to find your own voice and it's hard to do. That's something that I still struggle with, but it's an important step. So Marcus picks up on a lot of his guitar technique from analogous musicians. He quit listening to guitar players years ago and he likes to listen to pianists, organ players, and jazz from Miles Davis and a lot of tenor saxophone players. This doesn't directly relate to playing guitar, but it helps him to do things like discover new ways of phrasing his guitar and about rhythm and comping for the other musicians on stage. Picking up insights from different endeavors is actually proven to yield greater results, and it isn't limited to the arts world. For example, a 2014 Harvard Business Review study showed how more distant fields of work could lend greater innovative insights to solving problems, like inline skaters coming up with better solutions than carpenters themselves when it came to finding better designs for safety equipment used in carpentry. Here's a quick listen to just a handful of artists that Marcus has talked about inspiring his music.
was Country Gentleman, King Curtis, Janis Joplin, Margaret Glaspie, and Sonny Rollins. James Poisner, keyboard player in The Roots, Jimmy Herring, Danny Gatton, Otis Redding, and Sarad player Ali Akbar Khan are also artists that Marcus looks up to. And now, you just might be able to connect some of those dots with his new song, One Day She's Here. the hill One day here and the next she's gone Didn't even get to hear me sing my song Had a phone minute but she slipped away
Can you touch on, kind of dive a little bit deeper into many varied influences that go into Marcus King's music? Now, on the surface, people are going to want to put a handle on that. And one of the handles that I think is is being used a whole lot is Southern Rock, which is pretty obvious. And can you yeah, can you expound on yeah, that? That's, but, yeah, that's, so that's, that's kind of an unfair, just uh, there, there's a lot more going on. Um, and I think there's some things that people overlook sometimes in the intelligence of, you know, Southern music and how many things are happening. You got the blues, you got gospel, jazz, every single type of music is going on in the South. You know, it's the greatest cross-pollinization in America. And Marcus hit it at the right time. Um, and with the three generations, you know, having his grandfather play, and really the work that his father did, and you know, that's pretty insane too. So, imagine being that talented and having that exposure to all those things, and playing at such a young age. And now, it's uh, you know just now culminating into his. You know, this album that's coming out is going to be insane. That's Charles Hedgepath, who played at the annual Marcus King Family Reunion Festival, where I interviewed Marcus in late September 2019. Charles and Marcus go back together for years, to around 2012 or so, when they met in Greenville, South Carolina. Marcus was still in his teens, long before he formed his own band, and would sit in with local artists like Charles, Craig Sorrells, Mike Bagwell, his father Marvin and Big Tez Sherrard. Mike Bagwell, now in The Bad Popes, is a key figure for Marcus and Charles. He's a hero to both, a pedal steel player who got his start with Marcus's grandfather, Bill King. Bill played with the legendary bluegrass band The Country Gentleman. And Charles, well known for his guitar playing in rock, blues, and jazz-based settings, is now working on, you guessed it, a bluegrass record. Charles' latest album is with his band, The Shady Recruits, which includes Marcus King Band members Jack Ryan on drums and Justin Johnson on horns, and is rounded out with Marcus White on keys. This is The Shady Recruits with a song referencing their many late-night meals at the Pita House. It's a favorite dessert there, a cookie called Garobi.
You're from right around Greenville, South Carolina. What town? Yeah, Greenville. In yeah. Greenville. Okay. Greenville proper. Greenville proper. Yeah, that Greenville. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you spent all your formative years there. You live in Nashville now. But I wonder how the your perception of Southern culture, how you realize your own Southern nature has uh, kind of come into focus more now that you've been around the world. I mean, you've, it, I, I sometimes think that, you know, I've been – I was born in Florida. All but two years of my life, I've lived in North Carolina. So sometimes it's hard to really see the forest for the trees as far as what is Southern culture, where what is this, you know, heritage that I have. But I think that maybe somebody like you getting out and about and going to other countries, maybe that becomes more clear. It does, man. It's, a, it's so important to get out and experience other cultures because, you know, you can you can become closed-minded if if you don't know any other way and if things become just really foreign to you because in your little bubble it is foreign it's completely foreign it's important to experience other cultures as much as possible and when we started traveling that was one of my favorite things was seeing other people and how they live i mean even going up up north was for us like going to a different country at first and uh being southern you know, people sometimes laugh at you the way you speak and stuff, but that's that just kind of adds to us because that's our humor anyway. Well, I remember Jim Lauderdale telling me once about how when he was in acting school, mm-hmm. he was doing a lot of stage earlier on before he really committed full-time to music, and he talked about how they point-blank told him that you got to drop that accent, man, or you're <laughs> not going to be here anymore. Right. And then Matthew McConaughey. Took it and ran with it. Yeah. I mean, now it's different because of a certain generation. Like, uh-huh. I still remember when, if you were going to be on TV, on media, doing anything on the radio, you needed to neutralize that. Yeah. But now it's kind of cool. Now it's cool. People people like it, you know. Um, southern accents are making a comeback. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you feel like is in your music or in your presentation that speaks to Greenville or even the region uh, in a larger sense? Man, well, you know, one of the main reasons that we do the festival here is because this is one of the only parts of the world that really sings to me, and I can hear the earth singing to you, and you're really just kind of tucked away in this little nest of Mother Nature kind of hugging you, in a sense. You're surrounded by this mountain range and... uh, you can really hear the earth speaking to you and singing sweetly to you in this region of the country. And I like to try to put a little bit of that into my music and try to let people grab on and feel a little bit of the love that I felt coming up in this area of the country. There's something so special about it and harmonious. And uh, if I can even just get a little bit of that into my music, I've done my job well. Here's another track from El Dorado and Say You Will on Southern Songs and Stories.
So thinking about how people see you up on stage and they, they listen to your records, and I know this phenomenon happens a lot with musicians and a lot, a lot of things in the arts, but it can be easy for people to think that your life is just as wonderful as your live show is and your records and that when you're on stage and you're feeling so alive, you know, they're getting all that energy and that's, that's all that they might know about mm-hmm. Marcus King. But what do they not know? What is the cost of being able to put yourself on that stage for those <laughs> two hours and be able to make all of the sacrifices necessary to make a really great record? Man, I love this question. It's uh, something I've, I've spoken on before. Um, going up there, I've I've developed just an alter an alternative personality to be able to uh, really become this front man, this person that can take people on a on a journey. And I've learned from some of the best. You know, I've had such great opportunities in my life to learn how to really connect with the audience. And uh, when I come off the stage, one, I'm like physically exhausted, but I'm wired and I'm just full of energy. But it's difficult for me to connect with people in a more intimate setting like that. It's just completely different. Um, I'm a lot more reserved and a lot more of a shy person. That person on stage, I don't know him, <laughs> you know? It's it's completely different, but it's... Uh, it's the way that I'm able to connect, and um, it can it can be hard to give all of yourself, especially in the early days, if you weren't getting that in return from the audience. It could just be really depleting. I know a lot of artists out there know what I'm talking about. Yeah. At his third annual family reunion show, Marcus and Charles Hedgepath announced from the stage that they're working on a new endeavor to help musicians called Curfew Foundation. At curfewfoundation.org, they lay out their mission statement, which is to offer a support system for people in the music industry with mental health issues, focusing on well-being, education, and advocacy. When I saw them announce this on the second night of the festival, the family reunion lived up to its name, with Doyle Bramhall II, Ryan Sasek, Josh Blake, Nigel Hall, and Charles Hedgepath joining the Marcus King Band for songs during their set. From the band's post of that show on archive.org, here's Orange Blossom Special.
That's about it for this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. Thanks for listening, and thanks to WNCW ace intern Josh Ming for production assistance and our new theme songs for the show. You can find out more about his work on his SoundCloud and Instagram at his Stralensohn profiles there, or simply by searching for Joshua Ming. We invite you to like and follow our show on our social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at South Scenes, and on Instagram at South Stories. There are also video versions of these podcasts on the WNCW YouTube page. You can email me at southernsongsandstories at gmail.com or joek at wncw.org. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup on both Public Radio WNCW and the Osiris Podcast Network. 
with all of the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. And you can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Plus, WNCW broadcasts capsule versions of these podcasts on the FM dial once a week, thanks to producer Kim Clark. Next in line is our episode showcasing the wide-ranging sounds of the Austin, Texas band Los Coast. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, encouraging you to go see some live music and support the artists you enjoy here on Southern Songs and Stories. When I was a kid, my family kind of, uh, it didn't fall apart, but, you know, my parents separated and I didn't see my mother as much. And I was just kind of alone a lot of the time, just with my instruments, with my guitar, and just played. And uh, you never really realize how alone you felt until you're looking at it in the, in the past. So that's why I always wanted a really big band I wanted a six-piece group with horns, because when I felt the warmest was when I'd hear Otis Redding's horns, bow, James Brown. When I'd hear that stuff, I was like, man, that's such a huge group of guys just going around, doing what they love, and having a good time. I always wanted that, and I accomplished it. You're looking at it in the in the past, so that's why I always wanted a really big band. I wanted a six-piece group with horns. Because when I felt the warmest was when I'd hear Otis Redding's horns, bow, James Brown. When I'd hear that stuff, I was like, man, that's such a huge group of guys just going around, doing what they love, and having a good time. I always wanted that, and I accomplished it.